media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. And church, you can open your Bibles to Psalms 51.1. We've been in a series of Psalm 51 and we're finally getting to verse 1 this morning. And I really debate it, uh, even though it's taken us three weeks of kind of preparatory work just to get to verse 1, uh, to change it. Because a lot of times with a parent-child dedication, you go with the theme. Uh, I actually saw a church that their theme for parent-child dedication, I don't know how, how they got this uh, to work, was unicorns. And I was going, okay, that's strange. <laughs> uh, you're not going to have unicorns this morning. I hope you're not disappointed in that. Um, I don't know how they tied that to biblical truth or anything. Um, of all things, we're going to go to Psalm 51 today, and we're going to talk about something that uh, maybe seemed very strange for a parent-child dedication, the cuteness, the, the softness of parent-child dedication. We're going to talk about God's wrath so that we can really understand God's mercy. Well, what a strange thing for parent-child dedication. And not just because we're in Psalm 51.1, not just because it's there. And I really battled with that because I'm going, you know, I don't want to have this heavy in the midst of all the joy of parent-child dedication. But here's my heart, guys. Your children are growing up in an amazingly confusing world. I mean, just confusing. Living in a day where the culture with no biblical foundation living in a day with a false sense of who God is, not going by how he's revealed himself in his word, but just, well, in my mind, this is my God. And I pray for McCall. I, I pray for Sierra. That they would be raised in a way that, yes, this is a harsh reality of our sinfulness and, and a holy God. But if there's ever a gift that you can give to your children that truly makes an eternal difference, it's this hope and this reality to know who God is and to know who we are. <coughs> Not to have a false sense of what people say God is and what people believe that their faith and, and their beliefs are. No, as parents and grandparents, it is our call to raise our children to know the biblical truth about these matters. To know things like this series, Biblical Repentance, well, there's a good, you know, hey, parent-child dedication. What would you preach on? Biblical repentance. Not quite as catchy as unicorns. But I promise you, I promise you, with all that I know, the greatest gift that you could give is teach them what the Bible says about ourselves and about his love for us. See, these beautiful girls that you saw up here just a little while ago, they're not perfect. You know, oftentimes we, we make this theological mistake. And, and we know what we mean, but we'll make this uh, theological mistake <coughs> when we talk about maybe the death of a child or something really bad happening to those innocent children. But the theological truth is, guys, I'm trying, not trying to be mean-spirited here, is there are no such things as innocent children. We're born into with the nature of sin. And so our children, and in fact, even a lot of kids, uh, I mean, a lot of parents that would be, you know, but not my child. By the time they're a month old, you've pretty much figured out, no, they're sinners. 
No, I, I figured this out. Thank you so much. You read my mind. Would you agree that McCall's not perfect? Now, see, I asked you, not the grandparents. Because they would give a different, you know. If I asked Jake or Kayla, they're going, yes. If I asked the grandparents, they're going, I don't know. She's pretty perfect. (laughs) But we're all born with sin nature. Everybody since Adam and Eve and after the fall has been born with this nature of sin. That we kind of go and do things that break the commands of God. We kind of go with our own way rather than the way that God would want us to go. And it'd be really easy to just kind of sum that up, that God would get mad, kind of fold his hands and say, okay, you disobeyed, I'm done with you. But the exact opposite happens in the Bible. This rebellion, we call it the fall. We speak much of it in our church of Genesis 3. It happens in the beginning pages of the Bible. And the whole rest of the Bible tells us of this redeeming God and his love for us and how he supplies for us an answer to that rebellion. So Alex and Meredith, Jake and Kayla, this matter of understanding biblical repentance, not just because it's part of our series, is actually a really, really important matter to these girls. Not only to know their sin, but to know the hope that they can have in the midst of their sin. In Psalm 51, David cries out to God, and, and he's come to realize his sin. And we covered that the last couple of weeks. We're not going to go back and kind of go through all the whole Bathsheba thing. But he comes to the realization of his sin, not because of his own awareness, but because God pursues him and brings a prophet that tells a story. David gets the story, and then he finds out that he's that man. And immediately as God opens up his eyes to his sin, David cries out. He cries out that he has sinned against God. As Psalm 51 is a psalm based on that rebellion and that sin, look what he cries out in the very first words. Have mercy on me, O God. Parents, not just these two that dedicated themselves and their children this day. Parents, Do you think there's going to be a time in your children's life where their choices may put them in a place where they will have to say, have mercy on me, oh God? I mean, as you think back to your middle school years, your high school years, your college years, were there times that you had to cry out, oh God, have mercy on me? That you realized that you had left a path that God had proposed for you and and his commandments and desired for you to walk in righteousness. And you had to cry out, God, have mercy on me. See, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our children is to know that there's hope in the midst of this rebellion. That God has supplied an answer. Because in our lifetime, children... Adults, grandchildren, we're going to have to cry out. God, have mercy on me. And we need to know what that means. You see, it wasn't David's first sin. It wasn't the first time that he had to say this. But he had left God's path and his blessing and had pursued sin in such a way that it developed into more and more of a sinful life. 
again, we're not going to go all the way back, but you know, it didn't stop at him having a, an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Then he commits murder. I mean, he's going down and down and down. And sometimes in our family's lives, we, we see that, that maybe we pursue and we make a bad choice here in a, an act of rebellion, and then it turns into another act and another act and another act. And sometimes people say, well, he's hopelessly lost, and there is no hope for Fred, or no hope for this person. Wrong. Wrong. Because as long as God gives you breath, there's an opportunity for you to cry out, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. And he begins to go down that path. Well, what is biblical mercy? Sometimes we use mercy and grace as synonymous. They're not synonymous. They're both sides of the same coin. I would tell you that one coin and, and kind of two different sides. But let me kind of define what mercy is. Mercy is forgiving the sinner and withholding punishment that is justly deserved. Would you agree with that? that I mean, there's a, there could be a lot of different ones. This isn't like God said, and here's the definition for mercy. Okay, we look at what the Bible says about mercy, and, and I think this would kind of fit most of the biblical text that we see there. So God is saying in mercy, what David is crying out for, okay, will you forgive my sin? And withhold the punishment that is justly deserved. I really do deserve this. I'm not being falsely accused here. I didn't get trapped into something. And so what is grace? Grace is when God heaps understand undeserved blessings upon the sinner. Grace and mercy are like cousins. They just hang out together. And in God's mercy, he gives grace. And in his grace, he gives mercy. So David cries out for God's grace, his mercy, and look at the means and the measure. This is the important part. This is the part that I really want you to, to, the church, to, to settle in this morning and for you to pass on to the coming generations of children and grandchildren. Look again at Psalm 51.1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Don't read over that too fast. David makes this appeal for mercy, and he says, okay, God, have mercy on me according to your character. You know, sometimes when we sin, do we focus and we ask for forgiveness, do we focus more on how bad our sin was or the grace and the mercy and the character of God? David gets it right. I mean, again, an adulterer, a murderer at this point, but he cries out to God. And he comes and he says, I can't come with any merit. I can't even come and say, I'll never do that again. I can't come and say, I've learned my lesson. I come on one basis, God, to cry out for mercy. I come according to your steadfast love. I come according to your abundant mercy. In the King James, that word for steadfast love is loving kindness. And and Charles uh, Spurgeon loved that he said, took two of the best words in all the human history, loving and kind, and put them together. Isn't that our God? And I would say, yes, Charles, it is. (laughs) His loving kindness toward us. Parents, teach this to your children. This is not what the world will teach them. The world will teach them, this isn't really a sin. You can do what you want. 
or, or it will teach them God will never forgive you because he's a wrathful and, and hateful God. And if you mess up, he will just you know, maybe throw that lightning bolt at you. Or maybe give them some philosophy of approaching life like karma. Hey, what goes around comes around. This isn't karma, guys. This is grace and mercy. We don't get what we deserve. What do we have to pay? Kind, you know, is there some repercussions of our choices? Yes. David knew that. Go back and read in Second Samuel where we were last week, and the Bible makes it very clear that his house, because of his choices, there wasn't a lot of peace and harmony from that day on. There were some earthly consequences to the bad choices that he made. But the hope that he had wasn't just contained to this world, but he said, okay, I can be made right with the holy God. And so he cries out to them. God is a God of grace and mercy. He is a God of wrath and justice. Please do not hear that we're not preaching the full counsel and character of God. But as one great theologian said, when we understand the wrath of God, the holiness of God, then we begin to really see in focus the grace and the mercy of God. Guys, I propose, I don't know how God's going to do it when we get to heaven, but I propose that we will sing Amazing Grace perhaps in heaven. And I think perhaps that we will sing it differently than we ever have before. Because for the first time, we will understand the perfection and the holiness of God, and we will understand the depth by which we have been saved, and we will be able to say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And we'll have full understanding. Until that day, we look into the word of God, we see people like David. We see people like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Tell us about the grace and the love of God. Not minus the wrath, but because there is a wrath in his holiness against sin. And we already said that we were all born in the sin nature, that, that God sent a Redeemer. Many of you know that my favorite life verse, we probably say it about once every three months in a sermon. When you're pastor, you can use your favorite verse. But Romans 5, 8, and 9. Because to me, that's the, the gospel. If we just had to condense the gospel down. So what, does, what did the Apostle Paul say? But God shows his love for us, and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Not a new, improved version. Not, okay, this is what you're going to be like 20 years from now. When you kind of get some religion and you start going to church and you do this. No. He saw us in the midst of our sin and he loved us and he saved us. When we put our faith and trust in him. In verse 9 it says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him. From what? The wrath of God. God just doesn't get wishy-washy about sin. He doesn't change his mind. He never changes. People say, you know, that Old Testament God, I don't like that God. That's a God of wrath. I like that God of love. Folks, Genesis 1-1, he's a God of wrath and a God of love. Revelation 22, he's a God of wrath. He's a God of love. Okay, from the beginning to the end, he is a God of wrath. He never changes. And you know what can change is you and I. Because he gave an answer to that. 
Parents, teach this to your children. You see, David's plea for, for, to forgive him, uh, and as it says in this verse, blot out my transgressions. And we could do a whole word study on that word blot. It means to annihilate. It was usually used in a negative sense, like a football team wanting to annihilate. I want to blot you out. <laughs> or that you would say to a sworn enemy. But here God uses it in the, in the positive sense in his word. and says, okay, I want you to do that with my sin, God. That's what he pleads for. Will you blot it out? Will you make it non-existent? And his request is based on two things. His steadfast love, that is God's steadfast love, and his abundant mercy. Now look again at verse 51.1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. This is what David says, according to your. See where he's pointing? He's coming on the character of God, the work of God. The words that David uses there is he knows that God is not only the source for forgiveness, but the amount that he, of forgiveness that he was going to get is on God's proportion. See, there's two different words in the Hebrew that he could have used here. He could have used the word meaning portion. And a portion means out of. And proportion means to take into account the size. So let's just say this morning, uh, Elon Musk, lovers and haters, I realize that, okay? I realize different figures. Well, he is, I think, still maybe at least one of the top two, three richest people in the world. Uh, supposedly his wealth right now is $178 billion. Now, a portion, if he said, okay, I will give you a portion of my wealth, that could be a dollar, that could be $2. You got, you might get more from me than you would Elon Musk. But he says, no, I, I'm going to give you a proportion of my wealth. I'm going to take the size of my wealth in account, and then I'm going to give you accordingly to the proportion of how much I have. Last time I checked, $178 billion was a lot of money. Well, what does this have to do with the story and what David is saying here? He doesn't say, okay, I want a portion. I just want maybe to nibble a little bit on your grace and mercy. No, he says, according to your loving kindness. Do you think that a God has a lot of loving kindness? According to your abundant mercy. Do you think that God has like a thimble full of mercy? Or do you think that his mercy is measureless? And so David comes. And he's going to say, okay, just give me like a drop. Give me proportionally for this vast lake of mercy poured upon me. Teach this to your children. That our God doesn't say, okay, I'll just I'll give you I forgive that sin or that sin. Or that he is moody and that he kind of gets angry some days and loving other days and you better catch him, as we would say. I hope he got out of the right side of the bed. No, that is humanity, folks. That is our characteristic. We're up and we're down. God is forever the same. A holy wrath against sin always just 
in his judgment for sin. But in his love and his mercy, he has provided a redeemer to come and forgive us of our sins. Get this, as though we never sinned. That still blows my mind. 43 years in ministry, degrees and different things like that, study after study after study, and it still blows my mind today that because of the work of Christ, as I put my trust into it, is as though I never sinned. Now, don't ask Carly because she'll say, well, yes, he has. <laughs> Positionally, theologically, that is what God has done. Practically, Carly is right. <laughs> Teach this to your children. That we have a God who loves them so much that he sent his only son. And that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life in Christ Jesus. Not just these two families. Church, teach this to your children. Teach this to your grandchildren. Let the gospel breathe in and out of your life in such a way that while your children will, will make their choices along the way, that they will have to run away from the gospel because of the demonstration and the hope that they see that Christ has placed in you. It's what my hope and my prayer is, Marathon Acts, that, that, that McCall would see that. It's such a demonstration of this hope of the gospel, not perfection, not perfect parents. You blew that day one, right? Yeah. <laughs> but this hope of the gospel that he so loved McCall that he sent his own son. That Jake and Kayla, that those here would grow up. And why she may not become some great theologian, this, but she would just say, hey, in my house, I had to run out of the room in order not to see the gospel on display. May your home be filled with the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the grace of Christ in your lifestyle. And church, may we support them in them by living our lives in that grace and that mercy as an encouragement to these families this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. Father, for this hope that we have. Father, we thank you so much that Father, I thank you that you are a God of wrath and just, Father, that you're not just coming wishy-washy, God, and you're moody. And Father, I thank you that you're not those things. But Father, we never stood a chance on our own. Father, there's never going to be one, except for your own son and his perfection, that could ever walk in total righteousness. And so, Father, we needed a rescuer, a redeemer, a savior, a messiah. And you sent us one. Father, I pray for McCall. I pray for Sierra. I pray for these homes today, Father. That the gospel will be so vibrant in their lives. That, Father, at an early age, you will open their eyes. That they would see this gift and this hope this Redeemer, so that they would have all their lives to live in the beauty of gospel life. Father, I pray that for this church. I pray for that for this pastor. That, Father, that we just would be a reflection of that. 
that those that would come our way, Father, I say, I see hope in that guy, but it's not hope in himself. It's hope that he's placed in someone else and that we would be able to share with them the wonderful words of Christ Jesus. We love you, Father. We thank you. We thank you for your incredible love as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.